we don't know anything about these people. They've never talked to us. They've just like picked this thing up and are using it. That part is just crazy to me. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. We are live today with Sven Mawson. He is a founder or uh, one of the founders of the Istio Project and a senior staff engineer at Google. We'll be talking today about the Istio Project. Sven, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. Glad to get a chance to talk about Istio. So I guess let's just start at the beginning. Maybe you could tell us how this all began, the origin story of Istio. Sure. Istio is born out of actually a number of different pieces. So I'm I'm mostly going to talk about the Google pieces. It's kind of a a shared project between Google and IBM as the sort of founding companies. On the Google side, um, we had this project, actually, we still have it called the Cloud Endpoints. That is a way to make um, sort of, it's kind of like Amazon API Gateway, but different in a lot of ways. Um, It actually uses a sidecar instead of a, um, a managed proxy. And in the process of building that, we, we learned a bunch of different things. One of the things we learned was that uh, people wanted it to be open source. Okay. And another thing people people asked for was actually a lot of additional functionality that wasn't really API management at all, but was more about service management, about like what we now think of as a mesh. Mm-hmm. And we kind of looked at that and realized we had a lot of expertise in building this stuff because Google had actually been doing this sort of thing for years and years. So Google had, you know, a very comprehensive security system around microservices called LOAS that, you know, there's various things on the, on the internet about. Um, we had tracing and monitoring and logging and, you know, all those systems have copies in open source now, you know, things like uh, Prometheus, which is based on some of the early monitoring work, right? right? So Google had these pieces. We actually had built a, a proxy on top of Nginx, that we used as the sidecar. And we were looking at, okay, let's build an open source version of this. And at the same time, Kubernetes was really taking off. So this was two and a half, three years ago, I guess, um, that this was happening. And so Kubernetes was you know, not, not as crazy as it is today, but it was really starting to hit the growth curve and sort of win the, the orchestration market. And we sat near some folks from the Kubernetes team at Google, and we were talking to them about their needs and what sort of the next level of things Kubernetes wanted. And actually a lot of those things were also the same set of things, right? They were security, they were load balancing, and especially L7 load balancing, application load balancing, traffic management, and observability at the sort of service level. And so like we kind of looked at all that stuff and we said, wait a second, this is you know way too great an opportunity to pass up. So we started really thinking about the idea of how do we actually kick off a project? We saw that IBM had been building this project called Amalgamate, which was doing the networking pieces, also based on Nginx, actually. And so we met up with them. I believe this actually was at KubeCon 2016 in Seattle. We met up with them and talked about it and sort of got an agreement to join forces on a new project together. They would bring in their expertise on the traffic management pieces that they'd built in Amalgamate. We would bring in the security pieces and the observability and you know build it all together. And we kicked it off that way. Fascinating. A couple of follow-up questions now. IBM and Google are on some level competitors. Was there any kind of tension in that agreement or is this all open source goodness in the meeting in, at KubeCon, for example? 
No, there, there was not actually a lot of tension. Um, the biggest tension actually that I had been worried about was we were basically coming to them and asking them to drop their existing project in some sense. And I worried a lot about them, you know, being really resistant to that. But actually they were you know, on board very quickly. It didn't actually take very much convincing for them to, to want to join forces. And the, I guess the other thing I should mention is that we both built these Nginx-based systems and neither of us were very happy with the proxy. Nginx is super fast and actually really well optimized, but working with Nginx is not great. They don't have a very open community. They also have a commercial offering based on it that had a lot of the functions we were trying to add. And so like, you know, there's this, this misaligned incentives problem where we kept wanting to come to them and say, hey, can you add this new load balancing thing and this new thing and make it all free? And they have a lot of that functionality, but they're, you know, they're trying to get money for it. And so we needed a proxy that didn't have that. And right at that time, as we were looking around is when Envoy got announced. And so it was like, that was another thing that just like just the right time, the right place. We're like, wow, this is exactly the proxy we were looking for. We did not want to build our own. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. And it was, it was just perfect. So I, I think, you know, IBM also had a similar situation. So they, I think that helped them in being willing to jump over to a new project based on Envoy, add a bunch of new features, add security, get Google to help them with it. Right. Exactly. And then you've been saying we a lot, and I believe that's the kind of cloud endpoints engineering team. Is that right? Or is that, or does that not quite describe the group here? No. So, so actually it was, yeah, an offshoot of the cloud endpoints engineering team. So there's actually um, a couple of us that have been working on API management at Google for probably six plus years now. I can't even really count that far. And we built actually multiple generations of API management at Google, and we finally had taken what we built and spun it off as uh, cloud endpoints as an external project. And part of that team came along to build Istio, but actually part of the team stayed on cloud endpoints. And part of the team has been working on both, actually. There's some people that have been working still on cloud endpoints and still on Istio. But we actually brought in a bunch of new people but the leadership, sort of me and my kind of co-founder at Google, Louis Ryan, we've been working on API management forever and sort of we're the, the sort of two founders, at least initial founders, but very quickly it was a pretty good team effort to build it. We've talked before, Sven, and you mentioned that starting this work also was kind of associated with you taking some time off. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, uh, a bit of a history of taking on new and exciting projects after coming back from paternity leave. So this was actually after, that's why I can, I kind of know when this happened, right? Cause I just think about how old my son, my third child is and he's uh, turning three in March. So it was basically the summer of 2016 that this was all kicking off. I'd come back. I had managed to hand a bunch of stuff off to other people before leaving. Cause I was going to be gone for a while that's, you know, the right thing to do when you go on paternity. But it's actually a great opportunity when you come back to think about, okay, what do I actually want to do? What's going on? Things were going well in the current stuff we had built out, the existing projects. And sort of my sweet spot is on the beginnings of projects, not necessarily the maintenance and keeping it going and, you know, adding new features and stuff. I really like to be there for the beginning of things. I like to come up with new ideas. Um, and so, you know, I came back and was looking around and there was all this stuff going on. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take this. I'm going to run with it see what happens. It was, yeah, it was so much fun just to, to have that time and be able to carve something out like this. Great. So, okay. So take us back now, you and the IBM team at KubeCon agree to work together. 
you produce a bunch of code. How does that get us to the launch or is there a launch for Istio? Yeah, and actually, I, I want to mention the little fun part about this was actually we got hallway passes to KubeCon. We sort of at the last minute decided to try to kick this stuff off and you know everything had been sold out. And so we had these hallway passes, which means we couldn't go to keynotes. We couldn't go to yeah. any sessions. We were just like allowed to be in the building. And so our meetings were in like in the bar of the, you know, whatever hotel that was, we right. were meeting with people, meeting with the IBM team. We actually met with some potential users that were interested in the space. We rented a like co-working space, you know, two blocks away and had a like two hour powwow with a bunch of people, including Matt Klein from Lyft, who built Envoy to talk about like how all this stuff could come together. And, you know, Sriram from IBM was there, and, uh, you know, Louie and I talking about all this stuff. It was really actually a lot of fun just kind of being in the margins of this <laughs> conference, trying to figure out how to create this project. So the sort of history going forward, it was a lot of Googlers and IBM working together early on to build this. I guess that was uh, maybe that was December-ish. Actually, it was November. It was right around the election in 2016. Actually, election night, we were uh, talking to potential customers and that was a an interesting evening, um, let's say. But yeah, so about, I guess, whatever that is, six months later in May of 2017 was the first kind of real release. That was the point one, the first point release of Istio that kind of showed what this thing could be. You know, it was very, very raw. It was kind of more proof of concept than real usable system. But then we, we started releasing kind of monthly after that. We did seven point releases in the next year until uh, July of 2018, where we launched the 1.0. It's interesting The leading up to 1.0, the question we got the most when we talked about Istio anywhere was, when is it going to be 1.0? When can I use it in production? So we had a, a very clear focus on that for a long time of, we got to get this thing out. We got to get it ready. Let people start using it. Got it. Forgive me for having us jump around, but we've had Matt Klein on, on this podcast to talk about Envoy Proxy and his description of how that took off and Google's involvement was was fun to hear it. So maybe if you have any more detail from the Google side, you had this meeting with Matt in KubeCon. Were there other meetings? Yeah, I mean, we obviously we had lots of lots of discussions. One of the interesting things is that Google is using Envoy for more than just the Istio project, but a bunch of other things as well. And so there has been a wide array of integration work. And actually, the majority of the work sort of on Envoy from Google is not actually related to Istio at all. It's related to other projects, which I can't really talk about. But Google has a very, very uh, strong interest in it. It's kind of like if Google had tried to rewrite you know, GFE as something that could be used as a sidecar and these other things, and built, it would be very, very similar to what Envoy was. And so the people in Google who were responsible for these things were like, wait, this is exactly what we want. We want to use this for a lot of different things. And so we, we've worked very closely with Matt on on not just Istio, but other projects as well. Okay. So so it's easy to imagine Matt being inundated by Googlers as soon as Envoy lands. Yes, 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 exactly. There was a lot of interest. Yeah, I mean, before we get too far in the story, what are your aspirations or expectations as you set out to do this originally and how did those evolve over time? So I think early on, our aspiration was focused on Kubernetes. So it was focused on like, the Kubernetes ecosystem needed strong security between services. It just didn't exist. They actually had had a feature request 
for, I don't know, a year plus to like try to do something in that space and had never been able to get around to it. They didn't have L7 load balancing. So the load balancing was all at L4, which meant you couldn't do, you know, per request load balancing, which is not great if you have long-lived requests. Long-lived connections, I should say, sorry. So if you have long-lived connections and those are spraying lots of traffic, they're all going to go to one place and they can easily overload a single backend. And there, there was no solution in Kubernetes for that. It was, you know, roll your own, do your own thing. So they were missing that piece. They had the low-level, again, networking-level metrics, but no application-level metrics. Um, and so they were looking for solutions for that, and we were very happy to step in and say, hey, you know, Google has built all this stuff as libraries, but we think we can do it as a proxy instead. We have expertise in building sidecars, like my team, and so we're going to do that. And that was where we started from. Like, let's just build this thing for Kubernetes to solve these known problems. And very quickly, we realized when we talked to people about this that it could actually be used for a lot more. So it's sort of you build a hammer and find out there's a lot of nails out there kind of thing. Like there, there was just so many different people that wanted the things we were building, wanted these tools. And one of the big examples here is actually people are moving to Kubernetes, but actually moving itself is rather difficult if you don't have the things we were bringing, right? So you... Security is kind of a special thing where you want that no matter what, but the tracing, monitoring, logging, and traffic routing pieces all make migration to something like Kubernetes a lot easier and just make dealing with VMs and Cloud Foundry and whatever other environments actually a lot easier. And so quickly became a, hey, actually, this is a really good cross-platform, cross-VMs, cross-containers, cross all these different types of things, way to connect all this stuff together and make it actually more understandable and easier to migrate things around and move. And so that became our kind of new focus probably about a year ago, or I shouldn't say new focus, but the expanded scope was, hey, let's help people actually become cloud-native, become modern, not just in Kubernetes, but also on other platforms. I see. And part of that is because it's advantageous to adopt Istio before Kubernetes as it can help you with the migration as opposed to like you start with Kubernetes and you keep adding things. And one of those is might be Istio. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it actually can help a lot. And right now, actually, to be honest, the VM story is not where I'd like it to be. Um, It's pretty manual. There's a lot of steps. It's not well automated. So we really want to actually work on that, work with partners, like work with VMware, you know, do stuff on Google Cloud, do stuff on other clouds to make it really easy to actually get Istio running on these on VMs. And then people help people hook up their VMs to their containers, help them migrate things to containers, move things around, have it all work together. It sounds like the first or early version of Istio, the vision had a lot of promise, but it wasn't all there in those early versions. Tell me about, you know, those early years, if they were months the delta between what you hope to build and what was available to users? Like, were people picking it up and using it? Were people waiting? Yeah, so we had an, an interesting strategy in retrospect, which was, so Istio has these kind of three pillars, right? It has observability, it has security, and it has, like, networking and, you know, traffic management. And we could have just done one of those and, like, tried to get that out and get that productionized and get it done. But we kind of thought that all these pieces really go together and you kind of need all of them to have the full platform, to have this full ability to run services in a modern way. And so our strategy was actually to build these out in kind of each of these spaces, build a sort of minimal version, right? That gets you what you need and then get that into like production ready state. So the early versions actually had 
a lot of the features um, that we have now. There's a couple things that I can talk about that that came in later versions, but really most of the feature set of Istio was there in point one. It just was very rough. It was very raw. You know, it had lots of bugs. It had caused 503s and services and, you know, things could get dropped. And like, if you went from using no mutual TLS to using mutual TLS, you couldn't actually roll that out. You had to, you know, restart everything with the new thing. And during the process, like connections would fail because the client didn't expect there to be MTLS and the server did. And so, you know, there are all these kind of things that just made it harder to use and harder to roll out and harder to actually use in production. And so that was where we we then focused really for a year, a year plus was like getting all this stuff production ready and able to be used by real companies in production on critical services. And that was, that was a year plus of work of getting it all production ready. I, I imagine with coming out of Google and having the Kubernetes momentum that there wasn't, it wasn't hard to find users, I suppose, but was there a marketing effort? So I, I actually was shocked at the amount of interest in Istio. I think all of us on the project were shocked by the amount of interest that it, it garnered. Like we expected some, we expected we'd have to actually do some marketing and try to find users, but we did not, right? We were basically having to turn away users and say, no, no, not, we're not ready yet. Don't try it yet. And I still am actually shocked when I go, you know, I find out about, you know, some guys from our team went to KubeCon Shanghai they had a session and they talked to talked to companies there and did a survey of people. And like the number of people that answered their survey that are using Istio in production in China, it's like, whoa, wait, we don't know anything about these people. They've never talked to us. They've just like picked this thing up and are using it. That part is just crazy to me. So no, we didn't, we didn't have the too much marketing. We did some like with the 1.0 blast, we did a little bit. We were trying to kind of get Istio associated with the service mesh space early on. And actually the reason for that was mostly to get people to join us, right? Like we wanted people that are interested in this space to stop building their own stuff because everyone is building this. If they're not using, you know, a product, everyone was building their own system. So we talked to so many people that had bits and pieces of this. They weren't happy with it. They didn't like maintaining it. It didn't have all the features they wanted. And so just being able to tell them, hey, like join forces with us, help us build this thing out, help us test it. That was the main reason for the marketing push. And we did a very, very small order on that point one, and we did a bigger one with 1.0, but it was still pretty minor compared to the interest it has garnered. And help give us some color on how those communications happen. Are, are people sending you emails from all over the world to talk about how they can help out? Are there more formal channels? It's a formal open source project, right? People go to istio.io, they can follow the links to getting involved there, or they can just go straight to github.com slash istio. There's a whole community section there about how to get involved. There's a bunch of working groups people can join, start contributing ideas, start contributing code reviews, docs, whatever. So there's lots of people that have actually just kind of jumped in to help that way. We also have done some slightly more formal discussions with kind of companies that are interested in working on istio where it's more of a whole company decision to bet on Istio. And that that obviously is more formal, where more senior people are talking to each other about like making sure everyone's on board and that no one gets left out in the cold type thing. But for the most part, it's pretty much a normal open source community. And, and how did governance evolve? I imagine at the beginning, this may have just been kind of a Google kind of organized managed project. And how has that shaped over time? Yeah, so uh, it was Google and IBM from day one, right? 
That was, you know, very much on purpose. And that was actually why we didn't just start this on our own is we actually really wanted to make sure that people understood that this was a community and a community project. And we didn't want it to be just one company, right? There's lots of just one company open source projects that some of them have managed to build communities around it, but it's harder and it's actually harder to get customers, especially if it's like Google doing it, because there's a lot of, oh, it's, you know, this is really a Google thing. Um, so we wanted to avoid that. We wanted to make sure that people understood that we wanted this to be owned by the community and run by the community. On the other hand, Istio is a little different in the way it is governed in that Istio is governed by companies contributing to Istio primarily, not by individuals contributing. And that's at the steering level. So at the at the top level of how we run Istio, it's sort of right now mostly Google and IBM. And actually, we're in the middle of figuring out how to bring more of the new partners into the sort of steering of Istio and make sure that it's a bigger community there as well. Um, but sort of at, at that level, it's based on company contribution. So the more a company contributes to Istio, the more say they get to have in, in where it's going. But that's only at the like marketing of Istio and the top level steering of it. At the technical level, it's all based on people's technical contributions. So if you come in Istio and you do a lot of work in, let's say, security, then maybe you'll become one of the leads of the security working group. So for example, Spike from Tigera has been awesome and done a ton of work on Istio and helped drive a lot of the early security thinking. And so he's been one of the, um, the working group leads on security. There's some other folks from Cisco and from other areas that have been helping on, on some of the other working groups. And it's sort of, it's based on what people do to help out with the community. And that actually goes all the way up through the technical oversight committee, which is also based on people's contributions. And those are sort of people that have those seats. So as an example, Sriram, who was one of the founders of Istio from IBM, he actually joined VMware and had immediately jumped VMware way up on the contribution list because he is very prolific. But you know, at the same time, IBM still maintained kind of ownership of, of the project because it's IBM that was investing in it, not Sriram, right? He was being paid to do that work. So and it is a little interesting and a little different than a lot of other ones, although it's actually, it's probably more in line with a lot of these single company based open source projects, right? Where it's the company has a huge interest in it. It's just, this is a multi-company open source project. Along those lines, some open source projects, you mentioned some earlier, have kind of commercial ambitions, or at least the founding team do. And so there ends up being kind of a some decision-making around what's commercial and proprietary and what's open source. Do you face this at all with Istio? And do you have to reconcile Google's desires for the project or, or IBM's and that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's there's a couple different things going on here, right? So Google's interest in the project is, let's say, twofold. On the one hand, Istio by its nature, as I was talking about, you know, makes it easier to migrate things from... VMs to Kubernetes, but it really it makes it easier to migrate things in general and to manage things in general, right? It just it mm-hmm. it reduces the operational cost of running services. Like that's why Istio exists to basically make people have less effort required to operate services and actually help them move faster too, right? So Istio by doing that by removing a lot of these roadblocks to migration and moving levels the playing field for us, right? So it levels the playing field for Google. It makes it easier for Google to get people onto Google Cloud, right? That's, yeah. you know, that's why Google Cloud exists, to sell Google Cloud. Um, but the other part of it is, once you have Istio, there's a lot of higher level things you can build on top of it. 
right? There's a lot more management layers, you know, UIs and actually a lot of machine learning you can do based on the data that Istio can generate that you can build really cool products on top of it. And so I think basically all of the companies that are involved in Istio that are vendors at least are, are, you know, thinking in that space, right? So like VMware actually announced a mesh-based product. IBM has has one, you know, Cisco had one built with Google, right? There's sort of all these different, all these different people that are involved in Istio are building on top of it. It's kind of a base layer that everyone can build on top of and can, you know, make money from building really great value on top of it. Related to this, one of the critical things about Istio is actually we really want to commoditize a lot of the base stuff, right? That we don't think actually people should be charging for. Mm-hmm. And that's where, of course, we got into trouble with trying to discuss with Nginx, right? Because they want to charge for a lot of these things. And we think they should be a commodity, right? We think L7 low bouncing and gateways and basic collection of metrics and basic security, that all should be a commodity that everyone should get because it's important. It makes everyone's lives better. And it opens up a lot of room for these higher level features and services to build on top. Got it. Tell us where we go from here. So Istio recently was 1.0 and what's the kind of next steps? I am very saddened to say that we still haven't launched the 1.1 release. We actually just uh, posted the community about this. So 1.0 was kind of, as I mentioned, what people were asking us for, right? For them to start really using this. And it turns out once you get a large number of people using something, they find all kinds of problems with it. It's new. So we've been spending a ton of time basically fixing bugs, stabilizing, improving performance, right? actually a lot of work and performance on these corner cases we didn't know about or scale we weren't anticipating people wanting to use. Actually, that, that's been something else probably that I did not anticipate, but we learned was Istio solves a lot of problems that happen at scale. And so it actually, unlike a lot of projects where you can kind of like launch first and then scale later, like it solves problems that people face when they scale. And so the people that have high scale really want it. And so now you have the, oh, okay, we have to handle, you know, these huge meshes with like tens of thousands of services and, you know, ridiculous amount of QPS. And some of the systems started falling over and like we were keeping the entire, the entire topology of the mesh in memory on like every node. And that's, you know, that's just ridiculous amount of memory being used so lots of yeah lots of bug fixes like that lots of cleanup trying to make this much more scalable much more performant so that's been the biggest focus for 1.1 there's been a couple architectural changes we're doing too going forward i think the most interesting stuff is around architecture probably we still have some work to do on this like multi-cluster mesh thing we haven't really talked much about that but one of the things istio also makes really easy as part of the making things easy to migrate is that it makes it easy to do cross-cluster networking and communication without having to program that into each application. So let's say you have you know one service in one cluster in one region, and it's talking to some other service in the same region. For whatever reason, like that one goes down or the cluster it's in goes down, but there's other replicas and other clusters available. If you set up Istio right, you can actually just have that like you know fail over to the the other place and maybe your latency goes up a little bit but your whole system doesn't go down Um, and so this whole notion of kind of multi-cluster meshes is something that we still haven't quite nailed at least to my satisfaction we launched maybe it's in beta it might even be actually in in staple now but um, there's still some cleanup there to make that all work better but 
yeah, beyond that, the main stuff coming in the future for Istio, I think actually the biggest thing is what we're calling Mixer V2. So I don't know how familiar you are with the architecture of Istio, but there's this thing called Mixer, which runs as a separate service. And the envoys call out to it um, for really two purposes. One is to check whether an operation is allowed to occur. So that's like the access control quotas, other kinds of things like that, where it's, should this be allowed? And then the other is just reporting, right? Reporting telemetry. So here are the metrics, here's the logs, here's the traces, all that kind of stuff. And we're actually in the process of taking all of that and making it a lot more a lot more easy to move around the system, including being able to run it actually in the proxy. So rather than calling out to a separate service, if you want to, you can just run it in the proxy. And that basically just removes one of the services from Istio, makes it a little bit less complex. You know, Istio is, is down to like three components at that point. And it makes it a lot, a lot simpler to think about. And we hope also able to scale better. You don't have to scale up the separate service if you don't want to. It scales linearly with the number of your proxies, right? So you don't have to worry about that stuff. And that's the biggest change planned right now. There's a ton of other work around, actually, like I did mention VMs. I want that to get better, make it a lot easier to move those things in. We have some more work we're trying to do to make the various bits of Istio easier to use in isolation, so easier to adopt pieces of it. It was kind of built as a monolithic thing where everything works together and you kind of need all the parts for it to work. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of microservices, but it's you need them all. They didn't individually have their own kind of APIs and contracts and all that stuff, and so we've been busy adding that stuff on, sort of engineering hygiene stuff to make it easier for people to adopt. And people like... Um, Pivotal have actually started to help us with some of that because they want to use some of the pieces in their systems and make some of the stuff available, but make it integrated with their systems and integrated with their models. And and maybe kind of further transitioning, where does this take you, Sven? I mean, earlier we heard that you're kind of a project starter. I don't know if there's any anticipated paternity leaves coming up. <laughs> I actually just got back from one this week, so. Oh, very good. <laughs> but is this like something you could do for the rest of your life or how tied to you are Istio going forward? So I... Uh, the rest of my life is a pretty long time. I'm not that old yet, yeah, but yeah. I've actually been thinking a lot about this because of my 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 uh, tendency to, to start new projects after coming back from Turney. It's not there yet. There's still so many really interesting problems to solve. And especially like inside Google, you know, I mentioned we are building products and services on top of that. And all that is very, very early. Um, we have some, some amazing ideas for really cool stuff that we think people are going to love, but it's going to take us a while to get all that stuff out and all the things I want to get done. So yeah, I think there's at least another uh, three or four years in there for me before I start to think about what's next. But who knows? You never know. That's awesome. I want to thank you, Sven, so much for spending your time with us. Istio has been exciting to watch from my vantage point, and it's even more interesting to hear where it came from and now where it's going. We'll stay tuned for further progress. All right. Thanks. It was great to talk to you. find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.